You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, October 14th, 2021. I'm Cutta Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Ellie Shannon explains updates in campus news, and I discuss how the Northern Colorado Regional Airport is getting a new routine airline. After that, Eliza Droder will update us on CSU's athletics. And then you'll be hearing a conversation between Matthew Garrington of the Environmental Defense Fund Action Fund and myself about the Build Back Better agenda. Then, Coda tells us about how inflation is impacting Social Security and heating costs. And we hear from Anton Schindler about baseball's most most surprising contracts. After that, I'll be giving new information on COVID-19 and speaking to Piper Russell from The Collegian. Coda explains some updates on technology with discrepancies in Black rural communities' access to internet and Facebook's new policies. To conclude the show, I'll be telling you about the weirdest stories I've found recently. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hey everyone, this is Ellie Shannon with KCSU, and we're in our eighth week of classes here at Colorado State University. It was announced that students, faculty, and staff of CSU can get same-day flu shots at CSU Health Network. The university is encouraging that everyone gets a flu shot with flu season approaching. Students can schedule an appointment at CSU Health Network, which works with most insurance plans. For faculty and staff, CSU Human Resources is hosting three clinics. For more information, visit source.colostate.edu. The CSU women's volleyball team is going to take on New Mexico State Thursday, October 14th at 7 p.m. The game will be held at Moby Arena and will also be their pink-out game. Later in the week, on October 16th, the team is going to take on the Air Force Academy, also at Moby Arena. The 2021 Employee Climate Survey is launching on October 19th as an opportunity for all employees to let leadership know what it's like to work at CSU during the age of COVID-19. According to Britt Ehring of of CSU's College News, the survey data will be completely anonymous. CSU employees will all be emailed a link starting on the 19th. The Lake Street parking garage will be under construction this week and next, as well as the GSB parking lot. Make sure to listen to the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. Thanks for listening to your campus news. I'm Ellie Shannon, and this is KCSU on 90.5 FM. Hello there. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is your local news for today. Avilo Airlines is adding a flight route to Las Vegas from the Northern Colorado Regional Airport. According to J.C. Marmaduke at the Coloradoan, a week after its inaugurable flight from the Northern Colorado Regional Airport to Southern California, Avilo Airlines announced it's adding another destination to its Northern Colorado routes, Las Vegas. A new airline is bringing regular commercial air service back to the Northern Colorado Regional Airport, formerly known as the Fort Collins Loveland Airport, for the first time since 2017. Its first Northern Colorado route, which began flights on October 6th, runs between the airport in Loveland and Hollywood Burbank Airport in Southern California. Nonstop service between the Northern Colorado Regional Airport FNL and Las Vegas's McCarran International Airport, LAS, will begin December 15th and will run two days a week, Avila announced Wednesday. The LAS FNL route will run on Wednesdays and Saturdays, departing from Loveland around noon and arriving in Las Vegas at 1 in the afternoon. The return flights will leave Las Vegas at 1.40 in the afternoon and leave in Loveland at 4.30 in the evening. 
Velo's route between Hollywood Burbank and FNL is also running on Wednesdays and Saturdays. An adult diversion program aimed at helping people accused of low-level crimes resolve their cases without significant court involvement has launched in Larimer County. According to Sadie Swanson at the Coloradoan, diversion programs provide individuals charged with a crime an opportunity to, quote, take responsibility while emphasizing personal growth and harm repair to the community, end quote, according to a news release from the 8th Judicial District Attorney's Office. The adult diversion program launched last week will take a proactive approach, Senior Deputy District Attorney Robert Axmacher says. The diversion team in the district attorney's office will review cases as they come in and identify potential diversion candidates before a person's first court appearance. Prosecutors will also refer cases to the program, and defense attorneys can request their clients' cases be reviewed. People charged with Class II misdemeanors and below with minimal or no criminal history will automatically be considered, Axmacher said. People charged with Class I misdemeanors and Class V or VI felonies will be considered for the program on a case-by-case basis, which he said is uncommon. Once a case is identified as a good candidate for the diversion program, Axmacher says they'll create a diversion contract for the person specific to their case and will discuss it with them at their first court appearance. The contract includes a list of things they would have to do to complete the program, like court-sanctioned classes or community service. If the person agrees, they can sign the contract there and start completing the diversion requirements. Prior to this program launch, adults were able to complete diversion only through a mental health diversion program, one of the first in Colorado, funded through a grant from the county's Behavioral Health Services Department, which provided behavioral health treatment to people accused of crimes instead of giving them a punitive sentence. A man recorded footage of Colorado's first wolf pups in 80 years. According to Miles Bloomhart at the Coloradoan, Chris Shirichi had a hunch he was videoing uh, something extremely rare slinking through the sagebrush flats of northern Jackson County while on his way to his elk hunting spot. But he wasn't so sure. So in early October, he posted the videos and photos to the Colorado Elk Hunters Facebook group page. Many commenters agreed the black animals were wolves, while others weren't so sure. But Shirajiti's hunch proved true and rare after talking and share- taking and sharing his video with a biologist at Colorado Parks and Wildlife. It was confirmed that the elk hunter and traveling nurse working in Greeley recorded Colorado's... Uh, Working in Greeley, recorded Colorado's first wolves, born in the state in 80 years. Wildlife officials had been keeping tabs on two adult wolves, including pacing a GPS collar on an adult male, M2101, estimated to be three or four years old and in good condition in February. They also identified a collared female, F1084, with the male. This spring, they identified the denning behavior in early June confirmed cu- pups with the adults. Shirache Eddie's video was the first video capturing the wolf pack, which showed six pups and two adults. Colorado Parks and Wildlife urges people to contact the agency immediately and fill out a report if they see or hear wolves or find evidence of wolf activity in Colorado. The wolf sighting form can be found at cpw.state.co.us. That's all the local news I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll be right back.
This is DJ Catslock, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Eliza Drotar, and this is your RMR Sports Report. In CSU football news, their most recent game on October 10th, the Rams won their first home game against San Jose State, 14-32. The rushing leaders, Ajon Vivens, 31 attempts for 114 yards, an average of 3.7 yards per carry. Jalen Thomas had 13 attempts for 62 yards, and quarterback Todd Centeo with 37 rushing yards and 6 attempts. The top receivers in this game, Trey McBride, six receptions for 60 yards, E.J. Scott with four receptions for 47 yards, and Ty McCullough with two catches for 71 yards and one receiving touchdown. On the defense, Scott Panchin had six total tackles, 1.5 tackles for 14 yards lost, and one and a half sacks for a 13-yard loss. Daquan Jackson had 12 total tackles and three tackles for 14-yard loss. Quarterback Todd Santeo threw for 232 yards, 19 for 23 in passes with an 82% completion rate, was sacked once, and had no interceptions. Their next game will be in New Mexico on Saturday at 5 p.m. In women's soccer, they won their game against Air Force 1-0 with a goal by Liv Layton. Their next match will be at home against Nevada on Friday at 3 p.m. Women's volleyball won their most recent away games against Nevada with a 3-0 win and San Jose State with a 3-1 win. Jackie Van Leeft leading with 15 kills. Sasha Colombo led in blocking assists. Annie Sullivan leading in total attacks. Sierra Pritchard leading with assists and 10 digs, and Alexa Meliotis leading in digs with 11. Their next match is Thursday night for the home pink out game against New Mexico at 7 p.m. In cross country, their most recent event, the USSC Open, earlier in October, Sydney and Devin Peterson, no relation, finished first and second in the women's 8K. In women's golf, the team placed sixth in the Badger Invitational, and in men's golf, the team placed first in the Rams Masters Invitational. In women's tennis, the Rams began their season at the Bedford Cup against Air Force in Colorado Springs, and their beach tennis tournament just finished up this weekend. In women's swim and dive, the girls won against each individual team, including Air Force, UNC, and more in Grand Junction. 
If you are interested in student tickets, go to csuram.evenue.net for student tickets for volleyball, football, basketball, and more. My name is Eliza Drotar, and this is your RMR Sports Report. Today I'm joined by Matthew Garrington from the Environmental Defense Fund Action to discuss legislation that would support clean energy investments and other moves towards a sustainable future. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, Thanks for having me. So to start off with, can you tell us a bit about EDF Action's mission and work, just to familiarize our audience a bit? Uh, Sure. So uh, EDF Action is the advocacy arm of Environmental Defense Fund, and uh, we take a science-based approach to uh, solving our uh, country's uh, environmental problems. All right. And then EDF is pushing for the Build Back Better agenda at the moment, which includes a variety of environmentally conscious moves, including the uh, promotion of clean energy and replacing lead water pipes around the country. Can you explain in depth how it would impact people, especially those that are at an economic disadvantage? Sure. So um, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for us to address climate change and cut emissions 50 percent by 2030. Um, Uh, In the Build Back Better agenda, there is over a trillion dollars that would go into uh, addressing climate change. That's 10 times the amount that was in the 2009 Recovery Act. About half of that is in transportation uh, and infrastructure. Um, The the Build Back Better agenda uh, prioritizes um, addressing uh, disadvantaged uh, communities. So this can mean uh, cutting co-pollutants from industrial sources. So not only are we reducing greenhouse gases, but we're finding ways to ensure that we're reducing the immediate impacts of toxic air pollutants next to industrial facilities. Um, obviously, you know, climate change affects the disadvantage uh, most. And so it is very critical that we put us on a, a trajectory for addressing uh, climate change over the next 10 years. All right. And then how will the Build Back Better agenda specifically impact Colorado's economy as natural gas and oil are huge here? The Build Back Better agenda will help make major investments in a shift toward clean energy. Um, Colorado currently ranks 18th uh, in clean energy jobs. But given that we have some of the best solar and wind uh, in the nation, uh, we can do a lot better. So we're already seeing some of this uh, transformation in the economy right now. So there's um, manufacturing facilities for electric uh, vehicles in northern Colorado. Uh, We have wind manufacturers in Weld County. And so by making investments now, we can actually diversify where and how we uh, generate uh, energy. Um, Another uh, important portion for an oil and gas producing area is that there will be funds for addressing orphan wells. So there's hundreds of orphan wells that leak methane, a powerful climate change pollutant um, in Colorado, and uh, the infrastructure package would help to plug those wells, uh, protecting both our climate and water. All right. And then about those wells, can you tell us exactly how those, when they're abandoned, really end up having issues on the climate and how that might be an issue that needs to be addressed by our own legislator here in Colorado? Sure. So, um, Oftentimes, uh, there is not proper bonding for an oil and gas facility. And um, if there's not proper bonding, a, an operator historically can, uh, has sometimes gotten up and just walked away from those oil and gas well sites. Um, in the east, there's actually thousands of abandoned oil and gas wells. In Colorado, it's more on the magnitude of uh, hundreds. Um, but those wells will continue to leak methane. And methane is about 80 times more powerful than carbon dioxide as a climate change pollutant in the near term. And so addressing methane emissions from both abandoned wells and 
definitely existing oil and gas wells uh, is critical for addressing climate change in the near term. And then switching gears a little bit, as you probably know, Colorado's front range has dealt with some pretty horrible air quality over the years. Um, How do you think that the Build Back Better agenda will really alleviate that issue for Coloradans? Yeah, yeah, Coloradans want clean air and clean water. And we had um, before, you know, these Western wildfires fueled by climate change, we already had an existing air pollution problem from oil and gas operations and vehicle emissions. And climate change has only made the air quality situation worse here on the front range. There was a record number of uh, ozone days where it was unsafe to literally be outside and uh, recreate. Um, And so the Build Back Better agenda is critical for reducing climate emissions, um, and we need to make those investments now, because if we don't get a handle on climate change, um, we can only expect more in the way of wildfire and more in the way of polluted air. And then relating to pollution that's caused by a lot of these um, real pushes for climate change to happen, uh, how do you think that really embracing the Build Back Better agenda is going to improve the health of Coloradans with air quality improving, water quality improving, pipes being fixed? Um, Just a quick summary maybe of that. Sure. I I mean, literally, this would mean billions of dollars that would be going into a state like Colorado for things like as you pointed out, water infrastructure, there'd be $57 million going into things like electric vehicle charging stations. Um, so this this helps every Colorado participate in real solutions for addressing climate change. And then speaking of Coloradans addressing climate change, lots of business he- businesses here in Colorado have moved to a carbon neutral plan or basically for listeners, a plan of business that allows them to avoid any carbon emissions, and some actually have gone to carbon negative. So how will carbon negative or carbon neutral businesses potentially benefit from the Build Back Better agenda? You know, the Build Back Better agenda is really about helping um, all companies uh, reach that uh, status of having, you know, net zero energy by 2050. Um, And so, you know, there are incentives in the bill for you know companies to move in that direction and reduce their client their own climate footprint. All right, and then in the press release sent to us by your organization, we saw that President Biden actually visited NREL, which is Colorado's renewable national renewable energy lab. Um, so, what does it mean that the when the president is looking to us when really wanting to choose the best actions in terms of climate change. So what does that mean as in terms of how well Colorado is already doing and how much more we can improve? Yeah, so, you know, we've got a lot of intellectual power and capital when it comes to uh, investing in clean energy and a clean energy future. But given the fact that we only rank 18th in clean energy jobs, there's clearly a lot of room for improvement here. Um, Coloradans want bold action on climate change. Um, and so, it, you know, I'm not surprised that President Biden decided to come to Colorado to highlight both the um, current uh, success that we've had and the opportunity. Now, we have two senators, uh, uh, John Hickenlooper and Michael Bennett, who have both made climate change a priority um, in the budget negotiations. And now we need Congress uh, to bring that home and adopt a final budget and infrastructure package that makes climate change a priority. And then speaking of Congress, how can local citizens and residents really work to pressure their Congress people in one way or another when it comes to adopting the Build Back Better Act or the Build Back Better agenda? 
you know, Northern Colorado right now is really lucky to have leaders like Bennett Hickenlooper and Representative Joe Neguse, who, again, have made climate change a priority, but they need to hear from their constituents to keep fighting. Um, it's definitely going to be a slog, and there's nothing for certain in these budget negotiations. And make no mistake, they need to hear from their constituents to know to keep fighting to the very end and make sure that um, we get as much funding to address climate change as possible. Is there anything you'd like to add today about your organization or the Build Back Better agenda? A presidency is lucky to have one or two major signature accomplishments um, in passing something through Congress. This really is this generation's opportunity to have a huge impact over the next decade at the national level on climate change. Um, and so, you know, again, please do reach out to your uh, representatives and senators and let them know that you know, climate change needs to be a top priority um, in this package. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Again, that was Matthew Garrington from EDF Action. And we'll be right back here on the Rocky Mountain Review. KCSU thanks Tribal Rights for their continued underwriting support. Tribal Rights is located on College Avenue in Old Town, Fort Collins, and is a full custom tattoo, body piercing, and jewelry studio. Learn more at tribalrightstattoo.com. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to National News Highlights for Thursday, October 14, on the Rocky Mountain Review. Social Security is boosting checks by around 6% in 2022 according to Ricardo Alonso Zaldivar and Christopher Rugeber at the Associated Press, this is the largest cost-of-living adjustment in nearly 40 years due to inflation. The sudden inflation increase comes from the economic struggles during the COVID-19 pandemic. The average retired worker can expect a $92 a month increase to their Social Security income, an abrupt increase considering retired workers saw an annual increase of just 1.65% in the past decade. A retired couple can expect benefits to raise by $154 each month. The increase makes up for increasing costs for gas, food, and other basic expenses. About one in five Americans receive an will receive an increase in Social Security benefits, including disabled veterans and federal retirees. Some retirees ex expressed relief with the large increase in the upcoming year, as the past 10 years have seen very small increases that don't often help with covering living expenses. U.S. households that use natural gas for heating in winter are expected to pay more to heat their homes this year. According to Joe Hernandez at the National Public Radio, a report from the Energy Information Administration came out Wednesday and expressed that fuel costs will impact overall home heating costs this winter. Demand for natural gas for heating has increased in the past year. The report says that the type of fuel you use will determine how much your bills will go up for heating. 
around half of U.S. households use natural gas, and those households can expect about a 30% cost increase this year. Homes that use electricity for heating will only see about a 6% increase. Those who will use heating oil can expect to pay 43% more for heating, while propane users will likely pay around 54% more this winter. U.S. energy suppliers blamed the Biden administration for not prioritizing domestic energy extraction. The CEO of the American Exploration and Production Council said that higher taxes on natural gas and new policies relating to fracking on federal lands are partly to blame for this increase. The Alisal fire in California now requires evacuation and Amtrak travel closures. According to Aya Elamarusi and Joe Sutton at CNN, heavy winds in the area are also making it difficult for firefighters to contain. The fire covers 14,500 acres, around 20 miles northwest of Santa Barbara. It was 5% contained as of Wednesday. A minimum of 1,300 personnel are handling the fire, and more are expected to join in coming days. Santa Barbara County Fire tweeted Wednesday that they're hoping for winds to slow down enough for aircrafts to begin working to maintain the fire as well. This summer, California saw a devastating wildfire season. CNN says the climate crisis has made wildfire conditions worse, with weather that perfectly enables fire to start and spread. Nearly nearly 90% of California is experiencing conditions like extreme drought, which makes putting out fires even more complicated. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration authorized an e-cigarette views to help smokers cut back on on conventional cigarette use. According to Matthew Perrone at the Associated Press, this authorization is the first among vaping and e-cigarette devices. E-cigarettes have been used in the country for over 10 years with minimal oversight. The FDA recently began conducting a review of various vaping products to decide which are safe to remain on the market. In September, the FDA said they rejected applications for over 1 million e-cigarette devices due to the appeal to minors. The agency avoided making decisions on market leaders so far, with the decision on popular vaping company Juul still pending approval. Views' e-cigarette and its tobacco-flavored cartridge were approved to reduce smokers' exposure to harmful chemicals present in traditional cigarettes, and are now approved for legal U.S. sales. The FDA stressed that this decision does not mean they are safe for individuals who otherwise wouldn't smoke, and are intended as a safer option for those already using cigarettes. That's all for national news. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Now, for Anton Schindler's Painting the Corners. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 18th installment of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. In the last two episodes, I talked about some of the best and some of the worst teams to play the game of baseball. We covered all of the seasons that either made the decade for fan bases and some other seasons that other fan bases would want to forget pretty much as soon as possible. In both of these episodes, I brought up some names of some notable players that still had a pretty successful season, either despite the disappointing season or ones that helped push the team to truly the next level. But today, we'll be talking about money. Now, money is something that we all need to buy a new baseball glove or the new PlayStation 5, and it can be exchanged for goods and services as that classic Homer Simpson line describes. Now, according to ESPN, the average salary for a Major League Baseball player is around $4.05 million in 2019, third to the NBA, who sits around $8.32 million, and the IPL, which sits around $5.3 million a year 
on average. Now, that's a lot of cash. And if a baseball player shows loads of potential and world-class skills, a team will obviously sign them to a huge deal. Sometimes these deals can be a comfortable one or two million dollar deal, but occasionally there will be a deal involving numbers you never thought possible and contracts so outlandish you wish you paid better attention in t-ball. Today, we'll be talking about some of the most ridiculous contracts to ever slide under a baseball player's pen and make a decision if they really worked out well in the end. We'll start with one of the most recent deals that the San Diego Padres just stroke up with Fernando Tatis Jr. that actually set a record for the longest deal in baseball history. On February 22, 2021, Fernando Tatis signed a $340 million deal stretched over 14 years with a $10 million signing bonus. Now, the deal pays Tatis more as time goes on, just in case anything happens to the young Dominican Republic product. He earns $11 million in 2021, and then $5 million in 2022, $7 million in 2023, $11 million in 2024, and so on and so forth until he reaches $36 million a year starting in around 2029. By the time he reaches 2029, he'll be just over halfway through his contract. The contract lasts until 2035 before Tatis becomes a free agent. However, even though he will be a free agent, he'll be 36 years old by that point. So, was this a good deal for the Padres? Well, I think it could be. You see, the Padres did a really smart thing of not really paying him the biggest amounts of his contract until it's a few years in. And again, just in case something happens to Tatis, like injuries or a decrease in performance. But that's the thing. This is a 14-year contract. Tatis has already played two seasons, meaning that he'll be in season 16 of his career by the end of his contract. Now, it's not uncommon for a player, especially of all-star caliber, to stay in the league that long. But he's still pretty young. I mean, who knows how he's going to turn out as he develops. As of right now, Tatis is sitting at a 301 career batting average with 39 career home runs and a silver slugger under his belt. I mean, there's a lot of hype around this kid, and we'll see if this contract works out for the Padres in the end. Next up, what kind of contract-related podcast would this be if we didn't talk about Bobby Bonilla? Now, this is easily one of the most ridiculous, completely messed up, and honestly, kind of hilarious contracts in the history of the MLB. Now, as a matter of fact, Bobby Bonilla's contract is still very much in effect and won't actually be fully paid until July 1st of 2035, 14 years from now. (laughs) Bobby signed a guaranteed contract in 1991 with the New York Mets that was supposed to be five years, $29 million. Now, at the time, it was the largest baseball contract in the history of the MLB. The contract earned Bobby $500,000 every year from 2004 to 2023, 
Now, after jumping around a bit with a few different teams, including a World Series championship with the Florida Marlins at the time, Bonilla returned to the Mets in 1999 with his contract still very much on the table. Now, to this point, Bonilla had been playing relatively well, hitting 294 with the Marlins and getting 66 home runs in his time away from the Mets. But in 1999, he played horribly. Bonilla only played in 60 games, batting 160 with only 4 home runs and 18 runs batted in. Now to be fair, by this point he was 36 and already 16 years into his career. He was constantly arguing with the Mets coaching staff and according to some stories, even played cards with Ricky Henderson down in the clubhouse during during Game 6 of the 1999 National League Championship Series between the Mets and the Braves that the Mets would, well, unsurprisingly lose. The Mets released Bonilla in 2000, but because of the guaranteed deal that he signed all the way back in 1991, the Mets still owed him $5.9 million. Now, Bonilla's agent, Dennis Gilbert, struck a deal with the Mets at that point, which included paying Bonilla $1.19 million every year on July 1st from 2011 to 2035. So, even though Bonilla eventually retired in 2001, he was to be paid by the Mets for just under three and a half decades after he retired. So, if you ever need a reason to celebrate on July 1st, why don't you celebrate Bobby Bonilla Day and possibly one of the worst deals in the history of professional baseball? Now, this isn't the only contract that was created a very long time ago and is still being paid out to this day. No, Bruce Souter and the Atlanta Braves still have a deal going, set to end in 2022. Now, a lot of people don't really know who Bruce Souter is, despite him being a Hall of Famer. And that's alright, because he hasn't actually pitched in the major leagues since 1988. He retired after 12 seasons at the age of 35. He has a pretty modest 2.83 career ERA, but a less than pretty 68-71 and 71 record as a closer. But at the start of his career, he was really, really good. Half of the 12 years he played, he was an all-star, and he was in Cy Young talks five times and actually won the award in 1979 when he had league-best 37 saves. As a matter of fact, he led the league in saves in five seasons of his career. In 1984, Suter signed a six-year, $4.8 million deal with another $4.8 million that was put into a deferred account with 13% interest. Now, a kind of interesting point to bring up here is that all of the contracts I bring up have, in some way, to do with these deferred contracts, meaning that long-term contracts can be fulfilled long after a player is out of the league. Now, this is a pretty smart thing for some teams because it allows for more payroll flexibility to sign other players. And if there's no interest involved in the contracts, it could technically save teams quite a bit of money as they're able to rebuild that money as the seasons go on. However, in Suter's case, the 13% interest was enough to pay the now 63-year-old, by the way, 
$1.2 million every year from 1991 to 2021, with a final payment worth $9.1 million coming to Souter in 2020. I mean, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? <laughs> now, as I just mentioned, deferred contracts are a big theme in these players. Most recently, we've seen players like Max Scherzer, who gets $15 million a year from 2022 to 2028 from the Nationals, as well as deferred payments going to Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, and Rafael Soriano at the same time. Even closer to home, the Rockies are sending $13.1 million to Todd Helton every year at 3% interest from 2014 to 2023. Now, as I was looking through all of these contracts, it surprised me just how common these deferred payments really are. It might seem a bit ridiculous to us fans as we see our team's hard-earned cash get shipped away to players we haven't seen on the field in years. But in a weird business way, it makes sense. The only thing is, some of these contracts seem just a little bit too crazy, even from a business standpoint. That's why the Bobby Bonilla and Bruce Suter contracts are just so ridiculous, because instead of finishing the payments on the contracts a few years out of their career, maybe up to a decade, they're finishing them a few decades after they retire. Not only that, but they're still paying really unbelievable amounts of money, usually with interest, to players that many have kind of forgotten, if you think about it. But what about straight, deferment-free contracts that come in the form of contract extensions, just like that Fernando Tatis Jr. one? I mean, we really don't have to go that far to find a pretty high one. In 2020, Mookie Betts signed a contract extension that stretched 12 years with the Dodgers, paying $365 million to the 28-year-old right fielder. Now, this was a bit of an eye-opener to a lot of fans for a lot of reasons. The biggest being that Mookie will be 40 <laughs> by the end of his contract. Now, that's not old, you know, in general, but for a baseball player... 40's really starting to get up there. And not only that, but the contract puts Mookie second on the list of biggest all-time deals in the history of the MLB as he makes an average $30.4 million every year. This could be a good deal for the Dodgers as long as Mookie stays healthy and his bat stays hot, kind of like what I was saying with a few of the other contracts. He's actually been floating around a 300 batting average pretty much his entire career and continues to make gold glove plays out in the outfield. And honestly, I think it'll be very interesting to see how he improves or worsens as he gets older. But even then, that's only second place on this biggest all-time deals in the history of the MLB. Now, first goes to none other than the quote-unquote Babe Ruth of our generation, Mike Trout. Mike Trout is, without a doubt, one of the most incredible, consistent ballplayers of this generation. Completely, without a doubt. I mean, no argument there. He's definitely one of the biggest household names with one of the most 
potent bats that you'll ever see. Trout has a career 304 batting average with 302 home runs, 1,308 hits, and 944 RBIs in his 10 seasons in the big leagues. He's won the MLB MVP award three times and has been an all-star eight out of the 10 years that he's played. Not only that, but his Rookie of the Year award and his eight Silver Sluggers look pretty good on his shelf as well. And I think it's safe to say that he very much deserves his 12-year, $430-plus million deal that earns him about $35.8 million a year. The deal has no opt-outs and keeps Trout in the Angels system until 2030, so pretty much for the rest of his career. Now, as I've said with every contract that I've talked about again and again, there are a lot of obvious risks with making a deal this massive. Injuries and performance will always be a question, but seeing how Trout has played the past 10 years and really cemented himself as a household name, I think at the very least he will continue to draw in crowds that will earn the Angels plenty of money to make up over the next few years. Now, there's loads of other contracts that I didn't quite have time for that really show the incredible amount of money that flows through baseball, but it's been really fun to see how absolutely crazy some of these contracts are. It's definitely worth checking out who your favorite sports team is still paying money to, even after all these years. Let me just put it this way, there are very few teams that aren't guilty of it. So next week's episode, we'll be doing a bit of a preview of the 2021 MLB season and try to make some predictions of where every team is going to end up, as well as explain some underdogs that could shine their way through. We finally made it out of the long and dark offseason. It's finally time for baseball. Thank you for listening. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to COVID-19 Updates for Thursday. Colorado State University reports over 3,700 total cases of COVID-19 among students, staff, and faculty at the university. Nearly 89% of students and 88% of employees reported full or partial vaccination against the virus that causes COVID-19. Larimer County and the Centers for Disease Control report high levels of community transmission for COVID-19. Larimer County recommends that in high transmission risk periods, residents take the following precautions. Get vaccinated as soon as possible if you're not already. Wear masks indoors and in crowded outdoor settings regardless of vaccination status. Be sure your mask has a snug fit and consider wearing a KN95 mask. Postpone all gatherings if possible, and if the event must occur, consider requiring all attendees to be vaccinated or limiting the number of invited households. If the event is indoors, consider moving it outdoors. Get tested for COVID-19 if you have any concerns over exposure or symptoms. Larimer County reports nearly 38,000 cases of COVID-19 and 300 deaths. The county has a seven-day case rate of over 280 per 100,000 residents, 
there are 85 COVID-19 patients currently receiving treatment in area hospitals, and intensive care units are at 107% capacity, meaning there is no room for critical care patients. The state of Colorado reports just under 700,000 cases of COVID-19 and over 8,000 dead from COVID-19. 7.5 million vaccines were administered in the state, with 3.5 million people fully immunized in the state. The United States reports over 44.5 million cases of COVID-19, and over 717,000 are dead across the country. On average, cases increased by 91,000 daily, while deaths increased by nearly 2,000 daily based on data from this Tuesday. In the past two weeks, cases went down by 21%, while deaths went down by 4%. Information for today's segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the Centers for Disease Control, the Associated Press, and the New York Times Coronavirus Tracker. That's all for COVID-19 updates. I'm Kota Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Now we're going to be hearing from Kenneth Frederick of CTV about tonight's episode. While CTV's Kenneth Frederick couldn't make it, he sent this. Tonight on CTV News, the ASCSU has endorsed a ranked choice voting system. The university is getting ready for the grand opening of a new cannabinoid research center. Learn about a rumor going on on campus and what's happening with unvaccinated students. Morgan Gardner will let you know everything about our weather for this weekend. Brendan Fairburn will talk about CSU football on tonight's episode. And Tom Isaacson will have all the spice for your entertainment needs. All that and more on CTV 11 tonight at 7. Today I'm joined by Piper Russell from The Collegian to discuss CSU's new ranking in the U.S. News & World Report. CSU raised from 71 to 67 in the ranking this year. Thanks for joining me today, Piper. Thanks for having me. What were the factors that led to this ranking? So the U.S. News and World Report considers factors like graduation or retention rates, faculty resources for the 2020-2021 academic year, financial resources per student, student debt, and also peer review. All right. And then how is the university viewing this status raise? Yeah, so they said that it's definitely an external validation of the quality of our institution and that it allows us to continue to tell the story we have to potential students. So it allows those potential students to evaluate whether CSU will be a good school for them. And then why does the new ranking really matter compared to our last one of 71? Just because we've risen in the rankings and yeah, just continued to get better. All right. And then how does this impact the university in terms of admission or really getting the word out about CSU's programs and research? Like I said before, it's just a way for students to look at all of the factors that CSU has and just decide whether it'll be a good school for them. Um, So that definitely helps get the word out to students. And the National University's category of the U.S. News and World Report also consider schools that are committed to producing groundbreaking research. So that's also, yeah, something cool about it. All right. That's all the questions I had. Do you have anything to, uh, do you have anything else to add about this subject? Um, just that the student I talked to at CSU for this article was just proud to go to a nationally recognized university. All right. Thank you so much for joining me again. That was Piper Russell from The Collegian, and you can read her article online, which is called CSU Ranks Number 67 on U.S. News and World Report Ranking, and that is under the news section of thecollegian.com. All right. Thanks for joining me again. Thank you. And we'll be right back.
And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Cutta Babcock, and you're listening to Thursday's Tech News Highlights. Facebook announced Wednesday that it's banning content that sexually harasses public figures. According to McKenna Kelly at The Verge, this comes as part of its update to bullying and harassment policies. The new policy also intends to target coordinated harassment and attacks against all users. Facebook said that this new policy will allow the platform to remove profiles, pages, groups, and events that are intended to sexualize celebrities, politicians, or content creators. Facebook will also be removing content that provides unwanted sexualized commentary. Antigon Davis, Facebook's global head of safety, said, quote, We made these changes because attacks like these can weaponize a public figure's appearance, which is unnecessary and often not related to the work these public figures represent, end quote. Last week, a study came out showing that at least one in three Black Southerners residing in rural areas don't have access to internet at home. According to Deepa Shivaram at National Public Radio, this means Black rural Southerners are nearly twice as likely as white rural Southerners to lack home internet access. The study looked at 152 counties in the southern United States and found that 38% of Black residents of those counties didn't have access to internet in their homes, while only 23% of white households in the same areas didn't have access. One in four Black residents in the rural South also weren't even eligible to subscribe to high-speed internet, despite the same being true for just under 4% of Americans across the country. The study came out of the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies, which focuses on Black Americans and how public policy impacts their communities. Data previously wasn't broken down by race and was simply looked at based on whether or not a person lived in a rural area. Dominique Harrison, who conducted the study with the organization, said that nearly half of Black children in the U.S.'s rural South live in poverty. Facebook created new controls to help keep children safe when using their platforms. According to Anne D'Annunzio, at the Associated Press. The new features include encouraging youth to take a break from the platform, as well as nudging them if they look at the same content multiple times, specifically if that content might discuss sensitive topics. Additionally, parent-specific controls that would allow some level of supervision from parents of teens were announced. The new controls will be released Sunday, and Facebook says 40,000 employees have been tasked with handling the topic of youth safety on Facebook-owned platforms. Much of these new features come after whistleblower Francis Haugen, a former Facebook data scientist, came out saying Facebook actively promoted harmful content for profit. Additionally, Facebook expanded its live audio feature to international creators. According to Kim Lyons at The Verge, the feature launched for U.S. users in June, but viewers anywhere could interact with content made using it. A similar feature will follow the international release of the program, which can be used by Facebook groups. Live audio rooms were originally launched in the Facebook iOS app and moved to the Android app quickly in the U.S. This new rollout would allow desktop users and international creators to use the feature, and in groups, the feature will include private and public audio rooms as well. It's expected that this is part of Facebook's entry into the podcast world, which started over the summer. That's all for Tech News. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins on 90.5 FM. Now, for Weird News with Ivy Winfrey. Hello there, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and sometimes things need to get a little bit weird, so here's a few of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world. A recent scientific study has found that music by the artist Skrillex can help protect people from mosquitoes. 
According to the BBC, a team of international scientists specializing in mosquitoes and the diseases they carry subjected adults of the species Aes aegypti, known as the yellow fever mosquito, to electronic music to see whether it could work as a repellent. They published their work in the journal Acta Tropica. Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites, a track by Skrillex, which features on his Grammy Award-winning album of the same name, and same name, was chosen because of its mix of very high and very low frequencies. The scientists said, quote, In insects, low-frequency vibrations facilitate sexual interactions, whereas noise disrupts the perception of signals from conspecifics, members of the same species, and hosts, end quote. The results were promising. Female adult mosquitoes were entertained by the track and attacked hosts later and less often than those in a dubstep-free environment. The scientists also found that mosquitoes exposed to the song bred far less often than mosquitoes without music. The scientists said, quote, The observation that such music can delay host attack, reduce blood feeding, and disrupt mating provides new avenues for the development of music-based personal protective and control measures against Aes-born diseases, end quote. Next time you're being bothered by, by mosquitoes, it might be a good idea to listen to some dubstep on your speakers. Colorado Governor Jared Polis boasted about how Colorado is tied for the U.S. state with the least shark attacks. According to Jake Shapiro at the Denver Post, Governor Jared Polis shared an image in a tweet detailing shark attack frequency by state, saying, quote, Colorado is tied for the state with the least shark attacks, end quote. The image showed that, much like most landlocked states, there was an average of zero shark attacks per year in Colorado. When asked for a comment on Colorado's track record on shark attacks, Connor Cahill, Polis's press secretary, issued the following statement, quote, With the lowest obesity rate in the country, Coloradoans are known for being healthy and lean, and sharks know they won't get much of a meal here. Coloradoans and others from across the world love exploring our mountains, rivers, lakes, and plains while safely avoiding the swarms of dangerous sharks in other less attractive destinations like Texas, California, and Florida, end quote. The reason for Colorado's success with sharks is obvious. It's not near the ocean. Out of the seven states that border Colorado, none of them have a coastline. Still, New Mexico has had at least one shark attack. An Albuquerque aquarium worker in 2005 was nipped by a sand shark while on the job. According to the Albuquerque Journal, there was no blood in the Land of Enchantment's lone incident. One commenter on Polis's post noted that most Colorado Coloradoans only ever encounter a shark when the Colorado Avalanche hockey team hosts the San Jose Sharks. As for why other landlocked states have shark attacks, some say bull sharks swim up big rivers like the Mississippi River and have a rare encounter with a person. In general, shark attacks are unusual. According to the Florida Museum of Natural History, there were 57 confirmed, unprovoked shark attacks worldwide in 2020, which was lower than the most recent five-year average of 80 incidents annually between 2015 and 2019. Three Americans and seven others worldwide were killed by unprovoked shark attacks. A UK Victoria-era church is changing its name from St. Michael's to St. Mike's in an attempt to attract young people. 
According to Mary Johnson from Eminetra News, the 148-year-old church, located in Bournemouth, England, has been making multiple changes in an attempt to appear trendy and appeal to younger people. Using funds provided by the Anglican Church, they've been refurbishing the former St. Michael's with attractions including opening a coffee bar inside the shop and housing local events. Explaining the reasons behind the rebranding, Reverend Sarah Yetman said she wanted the church to be, quote, attractive to the younger generation, adding, quote, we are bringing new life to old buildings and planting new congregations in the church. Our vision at St. Mike's is that the church can be a beacon of light and hope within the community. We aim to reach out more to young people, end quote. The name change will officially happen in December. The Anglican Church has previously been accused of adding attractions to churches in, in order to uh, seduce the younger generation into becoming church attendees. In 2019, the church was accused of installing a helter-skelter at Norwich Cathedral and was criticized for opening nine holy crazy golf courses in the nave of Rochester Cathedral also in 2019. That's all the weird news I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And now, for the weather. Today we saw cool temperatures and scattered showers, with a high of 49 and a low of 30. Friday will warm back up to a high of 56 with a low of 32, with sunny skies and moderate winds. Saturday will continue to warm up to a high of 65 with a low of 37, and Sunday, we'll get up to a high of 72 with a low of 40, still with sunny skies. Monday, we'll see partly cloudy skies with a high of 72 and a low of 38. And Tuesday, we'll cool back down to a high of 60 and a low of 33 with partly cloudy skies. For Wednesday's weather, be sure to tune in this upcoming Tuesday from 4 to 5 in the afternoon for the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSE Fort Collins. I'm Cutta Babcock, and information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Portia Cook, Thomas Taylor, Stephanie Keel, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Lindsay Johnson, Eliza Droder, Maddie Erskine, Samuel Bailey, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Anna Schwabi, Marie Tanksley, Melissa Ronaldo, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.